Hello and welcome to Trees Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And today we're talking about The Five Bloods, which is the new film from Spike Lee, and it's on Netflix. Mm. Made for Netflix, and it was going to have at least a release at Cannes, but obviously COVID stopped that. It's just Netflix. I had a really, really good time. I think it's a, a really good film. What about you? I didn't like it. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, interesting. So, uh, well, uh, let's quickly say what it's about uh, before we get into that, because I really uh, thought you'd like it. I must say... Um, it's about... I love Spike Lee. Yeah. I I love Spike Lee. Uh, and I think he is an underrated American director with a very unique uh, voice and style. But actually, this film contains all of those elements that I like least about his work. Uh, okay. So we can discuss that. Yeah. Okay, well, let's say what it's about before we uh, get into that. Because like I say, I really thought uh, you'd like it, but we'll see. Um... It's about uh, four aging African-American former soldiers in Vietnam. And in the present day, they return to Vietnam. The official reason they're there, and one of the actual reasons that they're there, is to search for the body of a fallen comrade, Norm. Mm. Uh, Stormy Norman, they call him, or Stormy Norm. He was their leader, and he's become a kind of... A massive figure in their heads and a kind of spiritual leader almost. Like they constantly refer to what he told them to do and the way he encouraged them to live their lives and things. They go back to search for his body, which was never recovered. But secretly, they're also looking for hidden gold. They were tra- yes. There was this uh, box full of gold bars that were supposed to be paying South Vietnamese from the American government. And it was in the tail of a plane. It crashed they couldn't recover it and they just said we're going to hide this we're going to keep this for ourselves we, and Norm, Storm and Norman were saying give it to our cause give it to black people basically build up mm. black America with this they go back years later to find where they'd hidden it and of course because this is what always happens in things like tontines they go back and once they find it the uh, arguments start the paranoia and tensions kind of start to grow and there's one central character one of the bloods is uh, a Trump guy a Trump supporter and he kind of, he's an interesting one to me because he starts off as, it's very obvious that he's, that's a point of interest. You see his Trump hat, he's talking about building the wall, and his friends are saying, what, really? You? Mm-hmm. And what I think is very good about the way his character has developed is that him being a Trump supporter is a symptom, not a cause. You know, him being a Trump supporter isn't the start of why he is angry or depressed or anything like that. It's obvious that his being a Trump supporter comes from something deeper lying that you kind of start to dig mm. into. So wh- why don't you... Um... <laughs> I'm interested to say, what didn't you like? I didn't like the preachiness. I didn't like that it's a history lesson. I mean, I recognise, you know, that America at this time might benefit uh, from a history lesson. Uh, and, you know, from a really passionately delivered point of view or argument on uh, race in America, uh, and particularly in relation to the Vietnam War. Uh, But it's just not my idea of a good movie. I thought, you know, the characters weren't very well worked out. The relationships weren't very well worked out. I mean, you know, to me, it is one of those you know, when Sam Goldwyn said, well, if I wanted to send a message, I'd send Western Union. (laughs) I don't quite believe that. Because I think, you know, films are very capable of getting pe- people passionately involved with ideas. 
but this just felt too classroom to me. Uh, and I didn't like uh, the direction of the actors. I thought the actors who were good actors um, came through. I thought, you know, some of those roles really required a star. Uh, so I know that Delroy Lindo has been praised uh, for uh, his performance in this film. You know, but I would have liked to have seen someone like Wesley Snipes or, Des you know, Denzel Washington, you know, mm. uh, in the role. Um, and I thought a lot of the minor performances seemed really amateurish. And I include the French woman in this uh, and the son, you know, so they were kind of so it felt like uh, a dramatization of a series of ideas. But I never felt that any of the characters were real, uh, you know, uh, the film deals with ambiguities of ideas or or um, contradictions mm. yeah, in ideas. So, you know, you always you're always made aware that the black or, you know, black experience in Vietnam also has to be kind of counterpointed, you know, to what happened to the Vietnamese themselves. Yeah. So I think the film is very good and very sensitive about, you know, taking all of these elements into account. Yeah. Mm. But it's, but it's taking them into account as if it were an essay rather than as, as if it were a drama. Yeah, and I found it hard going myself. Yeah. I know what you mean uh, to some extent, although I didn't find, I didn't, it didn't come to, across to me as essay like. I kind of appreciated what, uh, when, when characters actually do, like literally give history lessons, particularly Storm in Norman, he talks about. Uh, black heroes of the past and black martyrs and so on and I like the idea that those characters were informed because I think it says something about their characters as well it's it's not just for the audience although it clearly is for the audience but it kind of says like what's going on in this movie and what we're doing has history behind it um, and there is a history of black people fighting their masters there's a whole thing about um, Vietnamese radio broadcasts directly appealing to black American troops saying mm. you're taken for granted you know you, you're you're eight percent of the american population but you're 30 percent of the soldiers here that sort of thing mm. and yet and, and despite that that's all kind of true and that is i think part, probably part of what you're referring to as the history lesson these are facts being mm. imparted it's also important that they're that like the way they're being imparted to these characters at the time and then this, the decisions that they make with those in mind they kind of listen to her or they hear what she's saying but they don't mutiny you know, and there's an interesting, there's an interesting, there's a complexity going on within them that they are completely aware of how black people are taken advantage of by their country and 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 used and so on and the history of that. But they are very proud to have fought and sacrificed for it too. Yes. You know. Yes, I mean it ends with that Langston Hughes poem saying something like, "You know, America isn't mine, isn't mine, but it will be." I, you know, that uh, they he and uh, speaking for black people in general will not always be excluded. Um, and, you know, kind of there are elements like that that I found kind of moving. Uh, but I really do feel that it is like um, a kind of uh, uh, a not smooth, a creaky essay film. You can see, you know, you can almost feel the screenwriters of which Spike Lee is one 
putting in, okay, well, we've got to fit in this argument here, you know, and then kind of that argument there, and we've got to take into account, like, you know, the French war in Vietnam that preceded us, and, you know, mm. I, and, and you saw things coming a mile away. I mean, as soon as, you you know, in the bar, when the son and the French woman talk and says, well, what do you do? And, you know, kind of we clear landmines. You just know that, like, <laughs> you know, the landmine is, is going to pop up at some point. So I just kind of felt it It was creaky, yeah, mm. and by the numbers and, and preachy. And actually, I often feel this about Spike Lee and his worst work, you know, because I do think he's a great filmmaker. But in his worst work, he gives you the impression that he's got all the answers. Yeah, and I think, you know, this is something about this film as well. Mm. Yeah, like, even the complexities are by the numbers and to me not emotionally believable. So, you know, the the relationship between the father and the son, and I think, you know, it's kind of, these things in films are one of my weaknesses, but I had a double reaction to it in the sense that, you know, there were moments that I found it very moving, and there were moments that I just didn't believe it. You know, like... Mm. Yeah, it kind of. I I don't think that's the way like humans, you know, in all their complexity, respond to things. Really, you know, it didn't feel like a real relationship to me. It felt like a a kind of a relationship that was there to make an argument. Yeah, I'll tell you one thing that I really did like about the film was in the uh, Vietnam flashback scenes, the uh, four surviving older bloods are themselves, they're not portrayed by younger actors, neither are they de-aged like the Irishman. Mm. They are themselves, as old men, fighting alongside yes. young Stormy Norman, who's played by Chadwick Boseman, Black Panther. Mm. And I thought I thought that was such a great decision because it does a couple of things. It it brings up that idea of how the war never leaves you. Right, it's particularly a trope of, uh, in Vietnam. And, and I don't just mean Vietnam movies, but just kind of the, the kind of cultural... A hangover of Vietnam, like these people did not kind of mentally survive this and it lives with them the whole time and it totally feels like that and I think the way that those scenes are cut into very often it, they're like they'll be walking through the jungle and they just walk into a war scene, it's alive and it's right there and they are just back in a firefight with the Viet Cong and it also really smoothly kind of communicates the idea of how alive Stormy Norman is to them and how he never got old. He never had the chance to get old. He doesn't look like them anymore. Mm. You know, he's constantly going to be, you know, 28 years old or whatever he is. And this kind of, this, mm. this perfect young man with his philosophies and his ideas and his leadership, it's still, he's, and he's their son now. He looks like their son. Mm. In fact, you know, the one guy's mm. son is there and he, <laughs> like, he's the same age. But the one guy is their leader and the other guy is their, the, you know, subservient and he's not even supposed to be there. Mm. I was thinking, you know, one of the lacks in American cinema seems to be at the moment almost like a failure of imagination, right? Uh, so, you know, kind of American cinema for so long, so admired. And uh, the characters in the film refer jokingly to the Rambo films, yeah. Yeah, all about kind of attempts to rewin the Vietnam War. And I was thinking, well, here's a film that can't imagine a trip back to Vietnam to deal with all the issues that the film deals without having a gold heist in the middle of it, <laughs> right? So some of the things that the film criticizes about, you know, Trumpian America or Trumpist America, it is, a, it is itself kind of guilty of. I mean, can't you, can't you just imagine a film in which these four friends go 
to recover the remains of his friend and have, you know, all the similar conversations or all the similar emotional problems or, you know, the same problems with his son without having to get into, uh, you know, stealing gold. Wouldn't you have found that even more preachy? Because, the, cause no, these, guys, because cause these guys would have been ideologically pure, you know. No, not not necessarily. I mean, obviously, it depends on how you write the characters and course, so yeah. on, right? You know, but the thing is, it seems that uh, you can't, you can't, or the idea of making a drama about human relationships, social guilt, uh, race relations in America, you know, the past and all of that somehow can't be imagined without putting, a, you know, a heist for gold in the middle of it, yeah. which is, you know, very dodgy. So the all the emotional complexities that are not in the film are actually left unanswered by this pursuit of gold, right? Like, what right do they have to it, right? They're mm -hmm. kind of competing rights. I mean, you know, even the moments where, like, I mean, they don't even get too greedy about it. Like, you'd think that in some of these films, like The Treasure of the Sierra Madre, they'd start killing each other off for the gold, but no. So that whole subplot just seemed, to me, a failure of imagination. Mm. What they're accusing the Rambo films of. <laughs> I um, I didn't like how the Trump supporting character, um, how he left his gold and how I, and actually how his story develops. I think he starts off, he starts off as an interesting character because, like I say, there's this one hook which is he wears this tatty MAGA hat and he's talking about building the wall and so on. And you're going, okay, right, where does this guy come from? You know, what's happened to him? And because obviously all his mates don't agree with him too. And I think you start to get into that, and and then when he goes off on his own, he's he's uh, you might say he's the kind of central source of much of the tension as the film kind of as the relationships degrade, and he's the one who kind of takes control of the one gun that they have, and he starts threatening people, and he says, "You guys do what you want with your share of the gold. I'm going off on my own," and he does, and he has these couple of long takes where he's stalking through the forest towards the camera, talking to the camera. And then what happens to him is he uh, loses his bag. It gets uh, up on a tree and he can't get it anymore. And he leaves it very easily. And he kind of says, well, that's for Norm then. Which I, I kind of didn't buy, right? I didn't buy that he would just let it go so easily. He would hack the fucking tree down or something. Like nothing had really changed about him at that point. And then he has this vision of Norm, which he's been referring to all the time. He, he keeps on talking that, that Norm comes to him in his sleep and talks to him in his sleep and he talks back. Um, and he sees Norm and in this vision he remembers and kind of admits to himself essentially that he's the one who killed norm by accident he heard commotion behind him he turned around and sprayed bullets and norm got hit and this is something that he's never been able to forgive himself for and you understand at this point like this is such a this is obviously such a deep source of his tension and everything that has changed in his personality over the years and from and from that moment on, I kind of you know I wanted I, I wanted him to have the chance at redemption of kind of honesty and so on and so forth. And what happens is he immediately dies. He doesn't get that chance. Mm. But I didn't. I just I, I I didn't like how that vision came up. I thought nothing motivated it. You know, it wasn't anything from the outside. It wasn't a secret that came out when other people were around. Nothing about him being on his own had justified it. He'd been on his own for 30 years and yeah, this hadn't happened. Mm. Um, and it wasn't. It clearly wasn't anything that happened in the jungle that had made this. He was just kind of going crazier and crazier. But nothing motivated him being honest with himself at this particular point. Do you know what I mean? It, that, was a, that, was, yeah. that was a very clunky, that's like a, a tropey moment that was just, it felt sellotaped on, you know? Yes. 
Well, I think much of the film feels that way to me, actually. And I suppose this is what I mean that, you know, the film has various arguments and various history lessons, you know, and then the drama is stitched in kind of to permit that to be conveyed. And I think in a way, I mean, who am I to, to judge in a way? Maybe this is what America needs. And, you know, kind of certainly the film was greatly welcomed and it feels that that's his, those history lessons in the film are perhaps much needed, you know. But um, to me, they, they made the film feel really clunky uh, and also kind of smug. You know, I, 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 I don't like it. I think it's kind of talking at me. I do know what you mean uh, there. I do. Did you remember the history lesson kind of segment, if you like, in um, Black Klansman with Harry Belafonte talking about lynchings and so on? And, and it's intercut yes. with the KKK having their meeting or watching a movie, I think they were. Because um, that was very much of that similar... You know, this is a history yes. lesson being delivered to you. But I don't think either of us had a problem with that then. And... Yeah, it seemed to really fit. Uh, the tone was slightly different as well there. The tone was, was solemn and sombre. Because the idea was this guy, Harry Belafonte, was playing a guy who had actually been there. You know, and was talking about his own past. As opposed to a kind of more abstract history lesson about people from a couple of hundred years ago. Which is what uh, happens in this film, more so. But I, you know, I, I suppose I don't completely object. I, I never really completely object to... Spike Lee's sort of form of propaganda, if you like. I think I think some people really need some some filmmakers really work in kind of propaganda modes, and sometimes we really need to hear it, you know. And it's like it's it, it's so it's so clear what the point of view is and what he wants you to understand from it. But in this case, it obviously comes at the cost of clunkiness. Yes, I mean, I wish he would stop being less of a propagandist and more of an artist, mm. right? Because you know, one of the things in the film is, um, I think all of the music is Marvin Gaye. Almost all of it, yeah. And I think those, you know, those songs convey so much more about the struggle and the pain and, you know, and the beauty of, you know, dealing with all those kinds of experiences than the film does, right? Yeah, well, they're all from, um, I think there's six songs from Marvin Gaye, and they're all from What's Going On, which was right. released in the middle of the Vietnam War. About 71, I think. And I think, actually, the use of music, I think it's beautiful. And as you said, it's very evocative. And I also think it's great that Spike Lee has managed to make a Vietnam movie without Fortunate Son, which, again, is, like, such the Vietnam trope. Although he does use Ride of the Valkyries at one point in what I thought was a very funny scene where they're going down river. And, of course, rather than going down river into hell, they're going into a lovely town that's <laughs> full of people selling oranges yes. and shit. <laughs> yes. Um, though... You know, all of those things, that scene where the person selling oranges and the the scene with the man who was selling the chicken, mm. I thought it was like so crude and insensitive and arrogant. It was like ugly Americanism in a way that you felt, you know, that neither the actor nor, nor the director, nor, yeah, were, were actually quite aware of, of the dynamics of those things. So obviously the scene is meant to illustrate yeah, kind of a point. Um, but yeah, and the point being that, you know, kind of the Vietnamese people uh, uh, are the people who suffered in the Vietnam War more than anyone. But, you know, the, the, the racial relations between the Delroy Lindo character and the chicken seller, I thought were just abysmally 
crude and insensitive and I, uh, I just yeah I, I, I couldn't understand how badly directed it comes across terribly I think yeah I agree it, that was a scene which was very obviously um, it was there to communicate something it was there to communicate in particular you know, the, the, his stress and PTSD and, and attitude but it was um, it was crude you know like we already understood that this guy is xenophobic you know that might be the, the nicest mm. way to put it I mean is he racist to I suppose he calls them gooks doesn't he the Vietnamese um, mm. and you know and this, this is the this is the Trump supporting character um, so this is the guy who kind of has all of this all of this uh, upset and turmoil inside him but we already kind of know by this point it, like what did we learn from that scene that we didn't already know about him mm. not very much really exactly well, I think also, just to continue with this idea for a while, you know, one of the things that I couldn't understand is how the son of this very damaged, angry, bitter person uh, could grow up to be, you know, this this nice, sensitive school <laughs> teacher. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, you know, so I think a better film, you know, yes. would just have alluded to... A, uh, you know, family relations, or it does allude to it, but that's all it does. Is it? They, they, I think it's vaguely mentioned two or three times. You know, the way the way I treated you when you were young, and it, and I don't think yeah. it implies physical beating or anything like that. It it really just implies like this guy was so messed up he could not be a family man. You know, and that and he and it he failed in raising his son, but they don't go into anything like that. They don't go into what it was really. It's just that it's this thing about his mother died in childbirth. And um, his dad hated him for it his entire life and couldn't hide it. But they don't talk about it together. They don't go into any of that. And and as you say, the guy is really well adjusted for someone who has had that sort of a childhood That's and right. that sort of a father. And you could have done that with a line, you know, like, did his grandmother bring him up? Did an aunt? Because, mm -hmm. you know, there is like this connotation that the father was like a really bad father, right? So who who made up for it, right? there's kind of like a question in that whole relationship that the characters in a way you know don't make sense or they don't make sense to me anyway right like mm. you know there's a bit of information that you feel is lacking right like you know so how did the son of this person who was so withdrawn in terms of love you know and who admits to not having been a good father and having been in fact a disruptive one how you know how did he turn out so well? There must have been other people, yeah. Right, you know. So uh, for a film that's so interested in history, actually, the most important history in the film is left out, which is his. We understand yeah. the history of of the four bloods who are still there. They we don't really know to need, need to know anything about them before the draft. They were drafted, they fought together, and that's led to who they became now. That's just what that is. What their history is. But the young guy, you you want to know more about him, and it's 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 left assumed, I think, that you will just accept that. This relationship is what it is, but no, I want I wanted more out of him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that that was true of all of the relationships for me in the film, and this is, I think, where my problem with the film is, you know. So, uh, and I suppose, you know, maybe um, I mean the film is not addressed to me, uh, you know, which is just a, a good thing. Um, you know, I think it, there is a, a clear sense that it's addressed at a black American audience, right? Like all of these history lessons that that are kind of being communicated 
are you know the history of particular peoples in a particular place so and i am not uh uh you know that that person so um you know maybe there are images and uh, events and you know that are very emotionally rousing uh to other people uh in a way that they're not to me um so for example you know that whole black lives matter chanting at the end of the film i thought ugh <laughs> right like i mean you know i support black lives matter uh etc cetera, etc cetera, but it just felt like i don't know white liberal guilt or whatever is is meant to to make up you know for the dramatic insufficiencies in the film and you know i just wasn't buying mm. yeah it 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 does come across as quite a tenuous link really to just kind of it's a very general history of black struggle in america and that's yes. yeah yeah <laughs> Although I like, I like, I like the way the film opens. It opens with, it opens, the very opening is um, that footage of Muhammad Ali talking about. Oh, that's wonderful. Why would I go to Vietnam and shoot these people? They never call yeah. me the N word and so on and so forth. Like these guys are, I'm more, I have more in common with them than the people who oppress me. Um, which is wonderful. It's, as you say, wonderful footage, wonderful, wonderfully uh, eloquent. The way it expresses it is, it's just perfect, you know. And then it has. Again, it's a history lesson, a very long montage with you know, particularly iconic images that you remember of the guy being mm. shot at point blank range and the napalm and so on and so forth and lots of things about Vietnam, which I thought worked really well. And I think that, that very often is some of the most evocative stuff that Spike Lee does, even if it is preachy or, or kind of obvious. I think sometimes, as I say, that propaganda mode of very starkly showing you images one after the other, photographs, um, your music clips of footage I think he, I think he does that really well and I think he always evokes something very profound through it profound might be too much but powerful yes well I mean you know I'm clearly the exception people have responded you know the film has this extraordinary rating you know in uh, uh, what is it Rotten Tomatoes or whatever um, I am very suspicious <laughs> you know so so I mean you know you can't just be a, a pure esthete or something as if you know, films didn't come out in a particular time and place with particular kind of social problems and particular political dilemmas. I mean, you know, we're always imbricated in that, you know, but I couldn't help but think had the film come out, you know, at a different moment, it would have been received very differently because I think as a film, it's really clunky. Yeah, I think you're right. And you're doing a very good job of talking me out of it, to be honest, because I did have a good time and I think I enjoyed the tone and I enjoyed the look of it. And I did enjoy, you know, some of the relationships between the characters and some of the kind of banter and so forth. Um, but, but I mean, you're doing a very good job of making me go, no, actually, well, this I don't is... want to do No, no, you're right. I mean, I think, I think what you're saying is true. And it's making me think twice about it, that actually this isn't very fulfilling. It ent- I think it's still entertaining. I had a really good time, and I found it very entertaining, and I found some of it very striking, but it's actually not all that nourishing. Let's dwell on that for a moment. I mean, so kind of, you know, what were your pleasures in the film? What did you well, think? I think it had a very strong command of tone. I've seen some people say they don't like how the tone shifts back and forth, and I quite enjoyed that. Um, you know, it does have these darker moments and these lighter moments, and even jokes, that even kind of gory jokes. Like, I think when the one character is blown up by a landmine, that came across to me in part as a joke, the way it happened. It's mm. a kind of, it's, mm. it's a, a bit of a thud, a dull sort of explosion. 
And although it's a character that you're supposed... I think it's a character that you care least about because he's the least interesting one and the least developed one. So that's why they can get rid of him so easily. You know, and they go across and they're upset to lose him. And, you know, the young guy's just seen a guy die. Oh, my God. But, you know, it's it was a funny explosion. And it was and it was a funny kind of... His, the bottom half of his body is all gory. And clearly it's, you know, the thing of you dig the guy into the ground and it's his head just going, ah! And I thought, that's funny. <laughs> You know, maybe I wasn't supposed okay. to. Maybe I'm a dick. But I thought that was funny. I thought, you know, Jean Reno is there just like it's almost like he's there purely to be Jean Reno, and it's just it's funny just to see him again. And his funny you should mention that because I didn't recognize him until almost two thirds of the way through the film. I run. And my and my feeling was, you know, what a pity they should have got Jean Reno instead of this classical <laughs> actor. You know, I mean... He does look different. He's got very much Gerard Depardieu kind of bulk to him now. He looks very different. Uh, not older, really. That's the thing. He must have had facelifts or whatever, because he doesn't look older. But he does look different. And actually, his whole energy is completely different. You know, and my initial impulse was, this is a Jean Renault role, <laughs> and he would have brought so much more to it than this person, right? And then you realize, oh my God, I've made a mistake. It is Jean yeah. Renault. Yeah, but it's not the same Jean Reno we're used to. No, no yeah? it's not. It's kind of, uh, so... Uh, yeah. Um, as I said, I, I like what I found striking about those propaganda moments. And I really liked, as I said, the way it goes into and out of Vietnam flashback and the way that Stormy Norman is used and integrated with the rest of the team. I think that's. I think it's a really, really clever, really brilliant decision. And obviously would have saved shitloads of time because you don't have to de-age anyone. You don't have to get new actors in or anything like that. You just put the guy there. And it's so evocative to have this young guy amongst his older friends. It brings up so much. Just And it's so simple. I think that was a really, really smart decision. Um, mm. And I think the ending is fairly emotional too. I, I like how I suppose underneath everything there is this B-movie thing as you say it's the Rambo thing the the, the the gold heist and so on and I liked how that that there's a kind of there's a cheapness to that story element that keeps everything moving that I kind of enjoyed I think it's kind of knowing um, and ultimately it has to end in a firefight that's what these things do. I suppose it's the cheapness that bothers me and I think it's a cheapness of imagination you know and also a certain kind of morality actually it's not you know, I think one shouldn't leave him out of those considerations, leave Spike Lee out of those considerations, because, you know, if you think about the film, what is this about? Like, you know, five men go, right? And then, you know, what is it? One comes back. Hmm. Is it one? Yeah. Uh, one and the sons. One of the older ones and the son, isn't it? Okay, one, yeah. So one comes back. And then the money's supposed to make up for that? <laughs> I mean... You know, what kind of a shit capitalist film is this crap, right? Yeah, like The money and the, of, you know, and the guy discovers that he's got a daughter as well. Yeah, well, you know, you could have discovered about the daughter and whatever. So basically what you're, you know, kind of somehow the money's meant to make up, you know, for all these lives lost. And you think, what kind of a morality is that? Right? Like kind of, you know, the film is almost going against itself. Right? Mm. Kind of, you know, how, uh, how could you pay attention to all the other ethics involved in the film, if the filmmaker can't even see that that money cannot make up for those lives. And it doesn't matter if it goes to Black Lives Matter or, you know, kind of anti-mind uh, uh, things. I mean, you know, kind of, yeah? yeah. So, I mean, this is a film that's meant to be about, 
you know, kind of ethics and morality and rights and wrongs and stuff and so on. And then it just sells all of that stuff down the river like any cheap film does, right? It's kind mm -hmm. of, you know, about the gold. <laughs> yeah. And you're and you're meant to forget it at the end, right? Like yeah. Well, you're meant to you're meant to relate it to uh, the kind of wider Black American struggle, and and it's it's a, a leap that I think it's convincing in the moment because it jumps to this montage, but actually it doesn't stand up really. I mean, the ending is like you know one of those billionaire philanthropists, right? that makes its money by exploiting people, murder, not paying taxes and whatever. And then they give a $500 million check to the Metropolitan Museum. And that's meant to expunge everything that goes before it. Yeah. And actually, you know, the mechanisms are the same. Yeah, you're meant to expunge all the death and so on, because actually the check goes to Black Lives Matter. That's absurd. That's, that goes completely contra the film. Would it surprise you to hear that... Um the film was originally um, supposed to be for Oliver Stone to direct, and then he dropped out, wow. and Spike Lee came in, and then the film was given a more African American, given the African American perspective. Yeah. I, I mean, it feels that to me was not a surprise when I read that. It's something that feels yeah. very Oliver Stoney about it, about returning to Vietnam and about the the action kind of elements, I suppose, to it so that maybe. Um, well, I mean, so so this is the dilemma of the film in the sense that. What I definitely want to see is more black films, you know, more more films uh, with black protagonists dealing with, you know, particular types of experiences in America that are not given a showing generally in American cinema. I mean, I want all of that, you know, but actually I also think I want it better than, uh, you know, what we're given in this film. Mm. Yeah, fair enough. Was it boring to you? That's kind of my final thing. It's two and a half hours long. Did you get bored? Uh, yes. Okay. Um, so we were, <laughs> we were meant to meet to talk at 10 and we ended up yeah meeting at 12 and it was partly my fault, right? Because, you know, I woke up a bit later than I expected to. And then I had some phone calls and the usual thing, but I also did find myself pausing, making some coffee, pausing, having a bath. Yeah. And I think it was just too predictable. Yeah. Right. So kind of you you I mean some plot mechanisms you just knew what was going to happen I mean I we talked about the landmine we talked about the gold you know the thing about the the having the daughter there you know the eventual reconciliation with the son I mean I saw all of that coming yeah. really like it was so predictable so um so you know you're you I mean part of it for me was you play games about that kind of thing will this happen I bet you this will happen it happens Right. Some of the other things were actually, I suppose, more mean spirited because the film is full of quotations uh, to and references to films like Apocalypse Now. And you think, oh, my God, I wish this film had, you know, <laughs> the beautiful images that Apocalypse Now did. <laughs> right? or, yeah. So 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 I did find it. I did find it long and I felt that um, I had to endure it a bit. But that might just be actually you know, Netflix. I mean, you know, I do wonder if had I been enveloped by the images and watched it mm. in a proper cinema, you know, whether I would have felt the same way. I mean, it is true that usually when I watch things on Netflix, 
Yeah, there is a lot of pausing going on. I, 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 it's probably a lack in my character, but you no, know. I'm a rewinder. You see, you're a pauser, and you go off and make a cup of tea. I'm a rewinder. So the reason that a film that's two hours long will take me three and a half hours to watch is because I see something I like, and then I skip back ten seconds to see it again. So uh, well, that's really good. I wish I were more like that. <laughs> that's that's what I do. So like, I don't I don't experience you know. As again, you can't do that in the cinema, and you let it go. But then. When I watch them off my media, that's just, that's that's what I do all the time. So if I think I'm going to watch something that's two hours long, I know it's going to take me a lot longer than that to get through. Well, you see, I'm a rewatcher, so I after I do all the pausing and so on, if I really like the film, I will go back to it, right? And actually, what often happens, even in Netflix, is the more that I get into a film, sometimes after watching it three or four times, or yeah, then it almost goes without pausing. Yeah, you're paying attention then to you know particular things, right? But it's almost like, you know, you have to be sold on the value of the film in relation to the value of, of your time, mm. right? Uh, so, and, and actually, sadly, one of the things I can say almost with certainty is that I will not be watching this one again willingly. <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, I think Which I is always a bit of a test, you know, for films, really. So, um, oh, well, I mean... I've been watching a lot of Youssef Shaheen films and I've been very angry at, uh, you know, certain British critics who are entirely dismissive of this work, you know, and I was thinking, you know, part of the job of a critic is to enable audiences to find an in into, you know, difficult and strange films, yeah, mm. that are worthwhile. So. You know, I kind of, I don't want to be that person who says, don't watch this film, right? I mean, I'm always for people seeing things. Um, but I do think, uh, uh, you know, watch it guardedly. I think it's a film that's been highly overpraised. And, you know, I certainly hope that if you do watch it, you get more out of it than I did. Yeah, fair enough. All right, well, thank you very much for listening. We're eavesdropping at the movies and we are on... Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter at Eavesdrop Movies, and the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you. Cheerio. Mm-hmm.